following podcast will contain spoilers and explicit language. Hello and welcome to Yeah, It's That Bad. My name is Joel. I'm Martin. And I'm Kevin. This is the show that usually looks at supposedly bad movies and asks the question, is it really that bad? But today we're taking a break from the world of bad movies. I'm going to dip into the world of fresh movies. Just a little break, a little breather. (laughs) I didn't really feel like I got much of a break. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to one of the very first episodes of Yeah, It's That Good. This is a show that looks at supposedly good movies and asks the question, is it really that good? And what that boils down to is that we look at movies that are fresh around tomatoes and reevaluate that score. Does it really deserve to be that high? Tonight's movie is 1984's The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension, directed by W.D. Richter, starring Peter Weller, Ellen Barkin, John Lithgow, Jeff Goldblum, and Christopher Lloyd. The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension is a 1984 parody science fiction film. This movie currently holds a 71% on Rotten Tomatoes. How about a plot synopsis? Buckaroo Banzai is a rock star, brain surgeon, comic book hero, samurai, etc. who along with his group, the Hong Kong Cavaliers, must stop evil creatures from the 8th dimension, all named John, who are trying to conquer our dimension. He is helped by Penny Pretty, who is a dead ringer for his late wife, and some good extra-dimensional beings who look and talk like they are from Jamaica. Okay, Buckaroo Banzai Tonight's movie was sponsored by Timothy, and Timothy writes in and says, Please review Buckaroo Banzai. Thanks. <laughs> All right, this is going to be one of our first ever Yeah, It's That Good episodes. It's not Technically, it's not the first, because our upcoming premium podcast delves into these waters. Premium podcast? Joel, how would you get one of those? <laughs> yeah, it's that bad.bandcap.com. Keep a lookout. Coming real soon. Okay, so we started this project out doing Rotten movies. And when we decided to do these sponsored episodes, we'd open the floodgates and we said, hey, if you want to do a fresh movie, give it a shot. Because truth be told, we expected two people to sponsor movies. Yeah. And the whole reason we said, hey, pick a fresh movie was to entice that second person to, <laughs> to decide to sponsor an episode. Yep. Little did we know how successful this thing would turn out. Mm-hmm. And so we have about eight or nine fresh movies, which is not so bad. I mean, out of the 30 or so that are rotten that were picked, only eight or nine of them are fresh. So as we progress in the coming months, we're going to dip in to these fresh movies every so often. The majority of them are kind of dubiously fresh too, so it's not that bad. Okay. Like this one, for example. (laughs) 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 Okay, Buckaroo Banzai, what is your history with this? Never heard of it, and I've... God, this is the first time I've ever seen anything like this. Yeah, same for me. I didn't even know this movie existed. There was a lot of firsts that happened here for me with this movie. A lot of firsts. Pop your cherry, huh? You're keeping that in, right? Of course. (laughs) Sweet. Yeah, I had heard of this movie. This is one of those movies that pops up a lot when people talk about cult classics. It's this, Repo Man, and whatever the hell, you know? So I was interested in seeing this movie just to see what all the fuss is about. Plus, I also knew that the end credits from Life Aquatic were inspired from this movie. So I wanted to see that. But other than that, I really had no idea what this movie was about or what I was getting myself into. Okay, let's do what we always do at the top of the show. We'll discuss the actors one by one, and we'll see how you thought they did. 
Now, this movie has a surprisingly amazing cast of characters. It really does. Really awesome, like some great cameos in here. A lot of those guys in this movie that you look at them, you're like, oh, there's that guy. I've seen Uh him like a million times, you know? Yeah, yeah. Okay, first up, a guy that Martin and I are well familiar with, Peter Weller. Last time we saw this guy, he was strapped to a (laughs) jetpack and flying around Detroit, (laughs) blowing up guys. He was flying around New Detroit City. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to look at Peter Weller without giant plates of uh, unbreakable metal on him, but I thought he did pretty good in this movie for what he's supposed to be doing, which is mocking sci-fi related movies. I don't know. I was not impressed by Peter Weller's performance. I thought he was pretty piss poor. No, that's that's too harsh. He was kind of deadpan, a little too deadpan for me. He's supposed to be too cool, though. He's supposed to be too cool. Yeah, I get that he's too cool for school, but like he just, he barely does anything in this movie at all. He seemed like he was in the background more than anything. He's supposed to be the hero, the titular star. He's, he's hero, but he's nonchalant about it. That's that's what his character is supposed to be. Okay. What do you think, Kevin? I had the same reaction you did. It, I was unimpressed. By the way, uh, Kevin, what's going on with your voice? I don't know. I've got bronchitis or... Tonsillitis yeah. or elephantiasis. Some bronchospasm? Some, some strep. I don't know. Something's going on with my throat. I feel fine. You have toxic shock syndrome. Yeah, yes. yeah. You, you got to change those tampons out every once in a while, you know? <laughs> and it doesn't help the fact that last night, Kevin and I, we played this board game that literally involves you screaming at the top of your lungs for an hour straight. Yeah, my throat's been bothering me for a week, and it was fine until last night when I had to scream for an hour. <laughs> and then I woke up this morning, I like, couldn't talk anymore. <laughs> okay, next up, Ellen Barkin. You barking up the wrong tree here, Martin. Yeah, I, I thought that her acting was meh. She annoyed me, but I guess that was the character. I thought she did a good job. Wow, three different reactions. Again, she did nothing in this movie. She just was there. Yeah. Did, like, let's just get this out right now. Did anybody actually do anything in this movie? Huh. No. Okay, so for you to, like, cr- cr- critique your character uh, well, and say, John like, nobody did anything in this movie. John, like, no one, no one did anything. John Lithgow did stuff. <clears throat> so next up, John Lithgow. Kevin, you have a, an affinity for this guy. Oh, he, I love this guy. He was great. He did stuff. Yeah. What's your deal? I love this guy since he was on Third Rock from the Sun. This guy's a legit actor. And love him as the Trinity Killer on Dexter. Oh, yeah, man. yeah. Amazing. What about Cliffhanger? Yeah, what about it? I have never seen a crazier person than John Lithgow in this movie. Yeah, he was a lunatic. He was crazy, but he was good. He, yeah, I liked him. I enjoyed him. He's a legitimate actor, and he's he was very good in this movie. He was a little too over the top for me. I didn't care for his accent, whatever the hell it was supposed to be. The accent didn't bother me. It was just like his mannerisms, I thought, were like a little too dialed up. What about his aneurysms? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He aneurysms. brought something to this movie. No one else did. Okay, all right, all right. But then again, like, everyone's going to make the argument that, come on, guys. Come on, Martin, Joel, and Kevin. It's supposed to be supposed to be like that. Well, you know what? I don't care, all right? Well, what about this guy? Next up, making his triumphant return. Yeah, it's that bad. Joffrey Goldblum. <laughs> he's the most He's the most powerful actor in Hollywood, secretly. Not a lot of people know that. He's pulling the strings behind the scenes? He is. This was him in during his beefcake days. He was so, so horrifically underutilized in this movie. You got a Jeff Goldblum in your movie. You got to use him. You got to use Why him. Why was he not the star of this movie? He should have been Buckaroo Banzai. He should have been Buckaroo Banzai. You know what? This gets bumped up a star if he's Buckaroo Banzai. Jeff Goldblum had one line in this movie where they were utilizing him correctly, and that's when he figured out that the aliens were actually did land in the George. Oh, he was he's like, he's like, he was snapping his fingers. He was fingers. snapping his fingers. He's like, he's like, he's like, of course. If the, and I was like, wow, he's really Goldblumming it up right now. And then, and then he disappeared again. I'm like, yeah. they didn't deduct one star for not utilizing your Goldblum correctly. Next up, Christopher Lloyd, aka Doc Brown, again underutilized, wasted. What, yeah. what did he do? He did nothing. 
it really is a shame when you have somebody who's able to fly off the wall like that and you don't utilize him correctly. Yeah. Then this movie had a ton of fun cameos. Clancy Brown was in there. Mike from Breaking Bad. He was. He was was practicing for Mike. I didn't like it when John Lithgow choked him, though. I thought that that was, Mm. that upset me. Okay, so that's pretty much it. I mean, what what is there to say about Buckaroo Bonds? There's like 20 people in this movie that we didn't just talk about that when you see them, you're like, that guy. Yeah. I know that guy. I like that guy, but wasted. Yeah. Okay, that's pretty much it. Let's get into the history of Buckaroo Banzai. The studio made no attempts to sell the film to a mainstream audience with traditional promotion, although there was some magazine advertisement, primarily in Marvel Comics, and related licensing which served as viral advertising in limited venues. Studio publicist Rosemary La Salamandra said, Nobody knew what to do with Buckaroo Banzai. There was no simple way to tell anyone what it was about. I'm not sure anybody knew. Buckaroo Banzai was originally scheduled to be released on June 8th, 1984, but was pushed back to August 15th. It opened on 236 screens and faced stiff competition against the likes of Star Trek III, The Search for Spock, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, and Ghostbusters. Whoa. Wow. That is... Did anybody see this movie? <laughs> it had a $12 million budget. It made how much total? How much, it was $12 million? Yeah. I can't believe this got greenlit for $12 million budget. It probably made three or four. Um, I can't imagine it made its 12 back. I'll say five. $6.2 million. Yeah. Buckaroo Banzai has since attracted a loyal cult following and has been quite popular on home video. One of the filmmakers has stated, it has been one of the most dramatic reactions to anything I've worked on. Some loathe it and others are willing to die for it. The director feels that the film failed commercially because the narrative was too complex. He would like to have had more coverage for certain scenes. It's an interesting use of words for his narrative. He could have edited the film better and there were too many master shots and two shots that left little for the editor to work with. Entertainment Weekly ranked Buckaroo Banzai as number 43 in their top 50 cult movies. The film was also ranked number 21 on the magazine's The Cult 25, the essential left field movie hits since 83. The Guardian has also credited Buckaroo Banzai as one of their 1,000 films to see before you die. The credits mention... This is the 1,000th film, right? Because this is the one that will kill you. (laughs) I think so. (laughs) The credits mention a sequel, Buckaroo Banzai Against the World Crime League, which was never produced. The film would have focused on the league and its leader, Hanoi Shan. MGM now owns the rights to the Banzai franchise after being passed on from the now defunct Sherwood Productions and its successors, so any sequel or remake is at their discretion. In late 1998, the Fox Network tried to develop a Buckaroo Banzai TV series entitled Buckaroo Banzai Ancient Secrets and New Mysteries, but nothing ever came of it. Okay, Buckaroo Banzai. So this movie starts out in typical, yes, that bad style, but for once in a while, I was actually happy to have some scrolling text on screen because this movie is extremely confusing. (laughs) So it was nice to have a little primer into what it was we were about to see. The primer was, in and of itself, absurdist. Buckaroo Banzai is a jack-of-all-trades, but when I say trades, I really mean things that only the highest echelon of human intelligence could ever perform, and he does them all with ease. He's a rocket scientist, he's a neurosurgeon, he's a rock star. Test pilot. Test pilot. Uh, I think he's a master martial artist. Samurai. So at the beginning of this movie, we're kind of just thrown in, dumped into the middle of this world, and that's a recurring theme of this movie. This movie doesn't explain anything about what's going on in it. No. At all. That's not an exaggeration. This movie literally explains nothing. You jump in in the middle of this ongoing world, and the movie doesn't 
give a damn if anyone's watching it or <laughs> if anyone cares about what's going on. It's just like, we're going to do what we want to do and we don't care if you're watching it or not. Yeah, there's all this text in the beginning. I didn't even understand what it was saying. No. It didn't help me. It didn't place me in this world. I was just, I was like scratching my head like, Wait, what? I felt like I was, <laughs> I felt like I was watching a postmodern film, like a postmodern piece of artwork where the, I, the objective of making a movie is usually so that you can communicate an idea to another person. But this movie just existed for the sake of existing. I was like, oh, wow, this is a very postmodern movie. <laughs> <laughs> so Buckaroo Banzai is this guy who does everything. He's a genius. He's kind of like the pretender. Kevin? Whoa. Sydney. Sydney's hot on his trail. <laughs> you remember that? That stupid show where the guy could do anything? Jared. Jared, are you there? I don't know if I know what you're talking about. The pretender. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen this. He could be a doctor one day and a... Uh, I've never heard of this. <laughs> he could be a doctor one day and, and a, doctor a doctor the, the next day. And a doctor the, <laughs> and end a doctor the third day. And then on the fifth day, he's like a janitor pretending to be a doctor. <laughs> okay, so Buckaroo Banzai is this neurosurgeon, doctor, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, he's a he, rocket surgeon. He's a rocket surgeon. So he's in the middle of doing brain surgery on some guy with Jeff Goldblum. Dr. Goldblum, actually. Yeah, you, you better use his surname correctly. And at the same time, he's also conducting this experimental rocket car test out in the uh, salt flats. So this movie takes place in New Jersey. Does it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. That's one of the things that I really liked about this movie. That it's very New Jersey-centric. Are you sure about that? But apparently New Jersey has salt flats yeah, <laughs> because that's what they're testing there. <laughs> they look like you're you, in the middle of the are desert. Are you sure this movie takes place in New Jersey? Yeah. Well, the rocket car had a New Jersey license plate. There's a part in the movie where they show a map of New Jersey, like this is where we are. Yeah, so after Buckaroo Banzai finishes up doing brain surgery on this guy, he goes over to the uh, salt flats to test his super rocket rocket car. Jumps into the car. And how fast does this rocket car go, Kevin? It goes well over Mach 1, right? Mach 1000, right? Does it? Mach, I don't remember. Mach 1 quadrillion, probably. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One quadrillion. How many zeros is that? Uh, quite, quite, a quite, quite a few. Oh, see, we're doing it. Yeah, see? it's happening. See, we've fallen into the trap already. <laughs> this rocket car is going at the speed of light. The, the guys in the government who are in charge of the test are like, okay, Buckaroo, that's good enough. Come on in. Oh, no, Buckaroo's got uh, one more trick up his sleeve. He flicks a switch, a laser beam comes out of the car into a mountain, and then Buckaroo Bonsai drives his rocket car going 10 trillion millimeters per second mm -hmm. into the mountain, and he phases right through into the eighth dimension. What do you think of the way the 8th dimension looked? Terrible. It looked like they were going through the dimension that the that the phone booth from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure <laughs> and Bogus Journey. I thought it looked like through. the main menu of Metroid Prime. Yeah. Okay, so his car is going through the 8th dimension. It's being, you know, caressed and molested by these organisms. Yeah, there's these weird, impish demons that live inside the 8th dimension. Yeah. If the car is going so fast, how are they able to jump all over it? I <laughs> yeah, don't it get like it. slowed down in that dimension. Is that is that what happened? Well, it's the eighth dimension. Who the hell knows what's going on in there, right? Does time have any meaning? I would imagine so. They're moving. And grooving. Yeah, they were dancing. That's a good point. Those creatures were dancing on his car. He was ghost riding his whip. He was dancing on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He hits a demon going at the speed of light. It hits his windshield. It cracks. Mm -hmm. I gotta tell you, I like this stuff so far. I think this is a really cool concept. The idea that you can drive a car through a mountain into the, another dimension. It has shades of Back to the Future in yeah. it. And That's I'm the down. the license plate said rock. 
clock at 88, which yeah. is an obvious mm-hmm. nod to going 88 miles an hour. Yeah, I'm down with this. I think this is a pretty cool concept. I like it. Kevin, you're not down? I still at this point don't know what to make of this movie. I don't know what it's trying to do. I'm on Team Kevin right now. Okay. I don't I don't understand what the hell was going on in this movie. Well, Buckaroo Banzai, he comes out of the eighth dimension. He comes out of the other side of the mountain. He looks underneath the car and there's this pulsating brain thing. Mm-hmm. It's brain, brain creature thing. It's like, wow, an alien life form. He discovered it. Instead of making a big deal about it, Buckaroo Banzai, the neurosurgeon rocket scientist, he's also a rock star. Sure is. He's got a gig tonight. He doesn't have time to worry about the eighth dimension. Yep. Him and his band, they go to, I don't know, the Stone Pony or something in Esbury Park and they start playing. <laughs> <laughs> Right. You, you liked it though, and the guy, the the, the club manager, goes up to Buckaroo Bonds. Is like, I don't give a damn who you are, you know. When you're in New Jersey, you're just another rat. That's true. No matter who Can you, you are in the that, state right? of New Absolutely. Jersey. When Obama comes to New Jersey, you know, no one cares. Like, listen, yeah. we don't care who you are. When you're here, you're just another rat. Yep. <laughs> you're another rat on the garbage heap. Yeah. Okay, so you're just here <laughs> in New Jersey. <laughs> What'd you guys think of Buckaroo Bonsai's band's beautiful, bountiful bouquet? of beautiful music. I can't think of a B word for music. Beautiful. Oh, damn it. <laughs> What'd you think of his music? That little musical number. That There was a guy playing two saxophones at the same time. It was super 80s. Yeah, super you, 80s. You could feel it, right? Yeah. It was intense, man. I felt like I was time traveling. It was intense. I liked how all of them had weaponry, machine guns. The shots of the of the people in, in the crowd dancing, that was just super 80s, right? Yeah, there were all these people in like, like their dorky jeans and sweaters like just bopping around from side to side is this 80s making fun of the 80s is that what's happening yeah it is right it's absolutely self-aware do you think so i think that they're trying to make these people look as cool as possible like the way buckaroo bonsai himself is dressed i think that that's the joke that they're going so over the top because they're poking fun at the ridiculousness of. that's a good point though because yeah the stuff that was happening then they didn't think this is ridiculous but now we do today yeah where are they self-aware no i think that they made buckaroo bonsai and perfect tommy and all these other characters to look as cool as possible. Well, let's be fair. Perfect Tommy was as was cool. Yeah, he yeah, was awesome. no, there he was, was no. Sweet. He was my favorite no. character in this movie, hands down. You like that that beefcake hair of his? I I loved that character. The, the little bit we got him, I loved. By the way, uh, please stop me if none of this makes any sense to you. <laughs> so the neurosurgeon. Stop. <laughs> Rewind that. <laughs> little vantage point humor for you. Yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> so the neurosurgeon rocket scientist samurai superhuman samurai cyber squad. Super Saiyan. SSJ5. He's up there. He's playing his, with his band. They're making loud, rowdy 80s music with synthesizers and... And cocaine everywhere. Yeah, cocaine was just shooting out of every orifice. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's being loud and rowdy. But apparently Buckaroo's got super sonic hearing because he's like, Stop! Everyone, stop. This is my Buckaroo Bonsai impersonation. Great. Is someone crying out there? Who's crying? <laughs> apparently above all the noise and the cacophony of chaos, he could hear... Uh, a girl crying, weeping, yeah. gently weeping, you know? One girl off in the corner. The, this all makes sense. Keep going. Yeah? I didn't see any point of contention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some random girl's crying, and he's like, everybody stop. Put a spotlight on this girl right now. That made her feel better. It made her feel a lot better, this crying girl. Mm-hmm. What are you doing? Why are you crying? And then Buckaroo Banzai, he tells her, he gives a little piece of advice. Kevin, no matter where you go, there you are. Apparently- What was her problem? 
living in New Jersey is too hard. Is that what it was? She I, ran, she ran out of money. Hey, look, only the strong survive. Only the, that's the, that's strong. I've seen it on t-shirts. That's, yeah, that's what the Jersey Shore t-shirts have told me. It's true. Only the strong survive here. Everybody else realizes how futile it is to actually live in this state, and they actually just go somewhere that's enjoyable. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> they actually do something that's insane to everybody in New Jersey. Move out of New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Buckaroo Banzai is like, I'm going to cheer you up. I'm going to play you a song. And he starts, he goes to the piano, and he serenades her. He does. And meanwhile, she puts a gun to her head, and she's going to kill herself. But then a waitress accidentally bumps the gun out of her hand, and it fires. I thought this was mildly amusing, Kevin. I did not. I thought that it was corny as hell. Why is that? That's a recurring theme in this movie. Things are mildly amusing. Almost funny. It's They're in- almost sort of kind of maybe <laughs> amusing. <laughs> it's insinuating this, that, that this band either A... <laughs> constantly comes in contact with people with machine guns. B, is constantly going around areas where they need to use machine guns. Yeah, yeah, because when the girl pulled out a gun, every member of the band had, like, Uzis and Taurus judges. C, they're insane and just carry them around for no reason. Let me ask you a question. What do you think of the music in this movie? All the synths and stuff? It's annoying. It's just 80s. I I thought thought it was was the highlight of this movie. At the soundtrack, I liked it a lot. The most standout thing to me is the music in this movie. It's not Buckaroo Bonds himself. That's for damn sure. I wouldn't even call it music. It is just that. It's a it's it's a soundtrack. They're just sounds. Some guy pushes a button. Choo, 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 and I'm like dancing. <laughs> yeah. It's really good. All, yeah, that's all it takes. You're running around. I'm moving and grooving. Moving and grooving, jumping through comics. Alright, so it's around this point where we meet John Lithgow and the movie starts to make a little bit more sense. Wait, what? I'm sorry? So John Lithgow's watching television and he sees Buckaroo doing an interview Talking about how he traveled through another dimension. So the only logical thing to do. Yeah, so John Lithgow, he's watching this, and, and he, he picks up something that at first I think he's about to inject himself with heroin. <laughs> But yeah. it turns out to be like That's yeah, yeah. literally what I thought. Yeah, he, I thought he has he like this like, bell he puts around his arm. Yeah, it looks like he was tying his arm off. And then he puts this thing on his like, wrist. And then he attaches something to his tongue. He presses a button and he gets electrocuted. Yeah. Electric shock. And it like, allows him face. to relive the memories and ghosts of his past. Yeah, we see this and then it's a flashback. Perfect timing. <laughs> yeah, I was like, where's the flashbacks in this movie? They gotta be coming. They're, they're coming soon. And we see this flashback of John Lithgow from what I can only assume was like 1933. It was. And he's trying his own little interdimensional experiment with Buckaroo's assistant. What was his assistant, right? The Japanese guy? His mentor. It was his dad? No, it's his mentor. His mentor? Did he work with his dad? His dad was Japanese. Yeah. I, I remember that explicitly from the opening Yeah, that's, text not, that's not his father. All right, well, it was his, his research partner or whatever. So that guy's working with John Lithgow back in 1933. And and John Lithgow, he tries to go the, into the other dimension. And when he goes in, he gets stuck. And I guess one of these interdimensional aliens infect him in his Did brain? you pick that up? Did you actually get that? Because I did not get that the first viewing. I didn't, I didn't I got get it. that either. Yeah, I got I, it. I had to watch this. Like, like, here's a little fun fact. I had to watch this movie twice for this review. Neither times did I get that. I didn't figure that out until I read about it on Wikipedia. Really? Yeah. Oh, I, I got it. It just did he, not make any sense to me. He I thought he went person. insane. I thought he went insane from from having his head stuck in the eighth dimension. Hmm. That's what I thought. But his head was in the thought, eighth dimension. He yeah. came out and he was screaming. I thought that by traveling in, in the eighth dimension, it just innately because it's so insane, so different, it doesn't follow the laws of our world. It drove him crazy. That's like a very Lovecraftian. But kind Kevin, of idea. you're right. That's actually is what happened. That's weird. 
because now you're making that case. It's like, why did I think that that's what happened? <laughs> I should have thought he just went insane. Right, right. Huh. Anyway, so he becomes infected by one of these. In- so we're going to call these aliens? Yeah. Is that what we're going to call them? Absolutely. They're interdimensional beings, right? Which, by the way, so they can infect people's minds now? Because that's the only instance of it happening. They don't establish any any rules for these aliens. None. None whatsoever. They can be in another dimension. They can be in our dimension. What? Yeah, why are they traveling around on a ship if they can be space through dimensions? They can be space aliens. They can be human in, or, or Kevin, Earth's why don't you describe what they look like? By the way, I just want to point out to our listeners, if it sounds as if we're just randomly jumping around from topic to topic, that's not the case. We're actually literally... <laughs> we are following this movie <laughs> in pretty perfect progression, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, this this movie is incoherent. The aliens look like almost like a person had their skin stripped off their body and you just see like the muscle almost and then had an armadillo shell molded yeah. and grafted to the top of their Look like their football cranium. skin like pig skin you know leather skin leather skin heads yeah mm. Mm. Le- leather heads Le- leather face yeah with uh, George Clooney <laughs> yeah, I'm familiar with the works of George Clooney old patchy beard Old, old piss beard begins. <laughs> yeah. By the way, first time I see Buckaroo Banzai, I was like, is that Killian Murphy? That dude looks just like Killian Murphy. You think so? Yeah. One of the interesting things about Buckaroo Banzai is that the way that he's dressed in this movie is how the current Doctor Who is dressed. Hmm. That's, that's... Like Pee Wee Herman? That's almost sort of, kind of, maybe a little bit interesting? Maybe. He looked like Pee Wee Herman to me when he was wearing the gray suit and the, the white sneakers. And the bow tie? Yeah. That's what Doctor Who looks like now. Okay, so Jeff Goldblum is introduced into our movie as New Jersey. And he has that nickname because he's from... New Jersey. New Jersey. Even though the rest of them live in New Jersey. Yeah, I I didn't get that. So, the tour bus stops to pick up Jeff Goldblum, and he is dressed like Cowboy Curtis from Pee Wee Herman. Uh, And I mean... I gotta admit, I like this costume with the visuals. The very red cowboy costume. It doesn't make any sense at all why he's a cowboy. But hey, what the hell. This was the closest I came to laughing during this entire movie. What, Jeff Goldblum dressed up as a Cowboy. Yeah, yeah. Real, really close. I'll give it credit. You it almost, almost sort of, it kind of maybe laughed. Almost got me there. Best part of the movie. Okay, so Buckaroo Banzai meets up with Jeff Goldblum and they go in to this venue and Buckaroo Banzai gets on the phone to call the pre- to call the present. Okay, so somehow, someway, it gets intercepted and Buckaroo Banzai receives some type of static shock, electrical signal, and it interacts with his brain somehow. Did that come from the aliens in the spaceship? I thought it did yeah, because it? it showed them. It showed them when he was on the phone, and they did something, and then he got shocked. I was very confused. Later on in the movie, it insinuated that there's some type of bacteria that they released that changed the way we perceive things, and hit the shock was able to nullify that, and he could see them the way that they actually were. Yeah. So after Buck Rubanza gets shocked, he now has the ability to see aliens because they live amongst us, and he looks at people, and he can see through their human disguises and see their alien faces. Aliens, they're just like us. Us Weekly. Of course. This is just like another 80s cult classic movie called They Live. But And I actually thought that this is where the plot of this movie was going to go. I thought this was going to be a very, like, a They Live kind of movie. I don't know if this is supposed to be a parody of that or, or what, but it's nowhere near as interesting as that movie was. It's actually kind of stupid because Buckaroo Banza has the ability to see the aliens now, but he only ever sees two of them. Yeah. In any case, we then cut to a quote-unquote bi 
bio trackers. It's, it's essentially, what this thing is, it's just like a pod that's released by the alien ship. How's the effect? Oh, perfect. Yeah, the special effects of this thing flying around 80s style. It's decent for the time. The time period, right? This thing is flying around a green screen or blue screen or whatever it's flying in front of. And it gets shot by two hunters. That, blue I guess, screen are, of death. Yeah, it's flying in front of, of a blue screen of death. And aliens come out of the ship. Didn't the ship look like a bird almost when it was in the sky? Yeah, it looked it like a hawk, kind Yet, of. But when it when crashed, they get to it, it's a ball. It's a boulder, yeah. What happened here? Okay, so aliens are coming out of this this boulder, this hot magma boulder thing. What really struck me odd about this is one of those aliens came out and it looked like a Jamaican man and he fell and I guess was shot and died. All the then good another aliens. Jamaican comes out. Yeah, all the good aliens look like Jamaicans, Rastafarians. I didn't get, I don't, I don't get that. Why? I don't understand why the aliens in space are different from the aliens in the other dimension. I don't understand what's happening there. They look the same, basically, when they're in their alien form. When they're in their final form. So I don't know what, are they, my question is, are those, were those aliens banished to this other dimension? Like it's the Phantom Zone? You are correct. That's exactly what happened. What? Really? That's what Wikipedia told me. That wasn't explained in the movie at all. Nope. That's me meshing previous Superman knowledge. Yeah. (laughs) Which is a, a good source to go to when you're not sure. Yes. Okay. So, listeners at home, if you're confused, <laughs> join the club. Yeah, don't be scared. Don't be afraid. <laughs> That's normal. <laughs> Joel, do you think that this movie did a good job up to this point? No. Did you understand it when no. you were watching? Because I think the biggest sin of this movie is that it didn't bring me in. So, it was just a series of things happening before my eyes, and I didn't care about anything. None of it. There wasn't a single person in this movie that I could latch onto and care about at all. At all. In fact, it got to the point where this movie bored me. It was boring. So much so that it was putting me to sleep. I'm not even joking. I had to turn it off both times. I, I watched this movie twice. Both times I had to turn it off because it was putting me to sleep. That's like a first. Well, here's my dirty little secret. Okay. My last note. I fell asleep. <laughs> Wow. So I actually don't know what happened during some a span of anywhere from five <laughs> seconds to 20 minutes of this movie because I was asleep. I don't blame you. In fact, that was probably some type of mechanism your brain was doing to protect itself. <laughs> So like a coping mechanism. I have like never, there's only been like two circumstances in my life in which I've fallen asleep during a movie. Yeah? This is like the second or third time this has ever happened to me. And that's astonishing. I mean, that says something. I can only imagine what it must have been like to see this in the theaters in 1984. I wish we could see it in that context. Yeah. I really do. I wish we could understand why this is funny to people. People love this movie. And from what I'm gathering is that this is one of those instances where you had to have been there. The right place, right time. You had to have been a teenager in the 80s, seen it then, and you would have gotten it. You would have gotten what they were doing. This movie was like so different from everything else that was out there. I mean, like someone that's Kevin Smith's age would enjoy this movie. Yes, exactly. Like in their like mid-40s, right? Exactly. And he is one of the people that loves this movie. The closest equivalent that I can think of this movie for us, our generation, is Life Aquatic. Yeah. I think they're very similar. A ragtag team of idiots doing some stupid thing that makes no sense and it's pointless and they're just running around having adventures and it's a comedy supposedly to some people. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, but I, I, I think the difference is that Wes 
Wes Anderson is a very, very competent filmmaker. So he took the he took that quirkiness, but also molded it with a movie that brings you in and characters that you can root for. Wes Anderson developed a plot. That's just that, but yeah. he Following. Wes Anderson knows how to use a Jeff Goldblum. Oh, oh, oh yeah. The Jeff, oh, the yeah. Jeff Goldblum <laughs> use in Life Aquatic was infinitely superior to this movie. Absolutely. So this movie is really hard to talk about, right? It's really difficult to discuss. Yeah, it is. Because the movie doesn't want you to like it, I think. It doesn't care about you. It doesn't care at all. It just doesn't matter. It's just its, its own little thing. It's its own. It's in its own little universe. It's like watching itself. I, I don't know. It doesn't need you. I can respect that they tried this, but I, it didn't work for me. Yeah, I think the ticket sales and the amount of screens that it was shown on show that it felt like it didn't need you to watch the movie. Yeah. Because nobody watched the movie. I mean, what I said to you, the first thing I said to you is, this felt to me like one giant inside joke that I wasn't on the inside of that I didn't get. Yes. So I felt out of place watching it. I felt offended watching this. Okay. How dare they keep me out of their <laughs> jokes? So after the guns are taken out during Buckaroo Bonds, as I guess, gig, John Lithgow and, you know, essentially takes this piece of machinery and they the rest of the movie is them being attacked by the aliens from another dimension and John Lithgow trying to use this piece of machinery to open up a dimensional gateway or portal to let the rest of his alien buddies in. That's the entire movie is just them running around chasing them, getting attacked, chasing them, running away, chasing them. It's like an episode of Scooby-Doo. That's a really, really good analogy. When Buckaroo shows up at John Lithgow's headquarters or wherever he was, yeah, that's when I fell asleep because it was this really long scene in which Buckaroo's team is like making their way into the place. They're taking out people like one by one here and there. It seemed like it went on forever. That is the point where I had turned it off the first time. That's when I fell asleep. It was like crushing me with boredom. I couldn't handle it. At that point, I wrote down this movie has completely degraded into something pointless and nonsensical. It is just nothing but a chase for an object movie. It's incoherent, I thought. The movie's completely incoherent. I mean, that's when I started just like writing stuff down about the movie that I've been thinking the whole time. Like, this is a parody, but it's not funny, entertaining, or dramatic. They were doing things that I I, I think were parodies of sci-fi at the time, like uh, using slugs or organisms like that to go down into someone's face very slowly. I'm sure that there was a movie that they were making fun of. It was almost like this movie was a literal interpretation of another cult classic TV show called Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. But this this movie was just done in a not as funny way. This really is one of the most difficult movies I've ever had to watch mm-hmm. and talk about. Absolutely. Ever. Like, I feel that Valentine's Day was easier to discuss than this. Yeah. That's insane, right? It really is, yeah. Is there anything else to talk about? I mean, there's this whole other plot with Ellen Barkin that we didn't even talk about where she's his buckaroos <laughs> ex-wife or girlfriend's twin. Twin. Yeah. yeah. I didn't understand what was happening there. No, no, it's his late wife. He didn't divorce her. She passed on. Did passed she? Away. Did she? That was never made clear to me <laughs> at all. That was never made clear to me. This movie is an incomprehensible mess. A complete and total mess. And it sucks because I'm on this movie's side. Like, I want it to be good. It has all these little things in it that I think are good. Like, all these weird, quirky characters. Every once in a while, they'll toss in some weird little joke, like with the watermelon and Mm -hmm. all these weird things like that. Like, I want this movie to succeed. I like the idea that they decided to make this really weird, quirky, offbeat thing that's completely different than anything else that was on the market at the time, right? I should like this movie. I should. But it just is a failure. I think this movie is a complete failure as a 
a movie. It is awful. Awful. And and for different reasons. Not because it was just like horrible or it's just like, it doesn't make me angry like Waterworld did or anything like that. It's just like, it completely fails to connect with me on any level at all. Yeah, that's a really, uh, that's a really good description. That's of the it. whole point of watching a movie, right? You connect yeah. with it on some kind of level, right? You put yourself in the story, you become one with it, you know, you have an experience. This movie, it doesn't want you. It doesn't want you to be there. It doesn't want you to watch it. It's just a series of things flickering before your eyes that are completely incomprehensible. They make no sense at all. The screenwriter and the director, they're cracking up, laughing it up behind the scenes or whatever, and I'm on the outside looking in. I think that the connection that needs to take place in this movie between the viewer and the movie itself deals with a given, and that given is that you've seen a lot of material that this movie is drawing on to make their jokes. And if you haven't, then sorry, bro, you're out of the inside joke. This movie feels like a pretty YouTube movie. Chop this thing up to little pieces, put it up on YouTube as like a web series or something, and then you're good to go. So in that regard, it's kind of interesting because it has that kind of weird absurdity to it, which is more prevalent today. I'll give it that, right? It's kind of ahead of its time. No, yeah, a lot of it's absurdist humor, but the absurdist humor isn't well done. It's unfortunate because I really love this one show, Garth Moranga's Dark Place, which is very, very similar to this movie, but that's the show that I'm talking about is hilarious, and I think it's well done. The jokes in that show are very well crafted, whereas in this movie, it's so heavily drawing on material that if you haven't seen, you just can't connect at all with it. Like, Joel, you're, com- you're completely right. Like, unlo- you just can't connect with it. There's going to be people that are going to be like, you, you guys just didn't get you it. You didn't get it. And and I completely agree. Like, I wish I did. I really do. I wish yeah. I got this. This. W- this goes right over my head. But I yeah. tried to, wa- I, I genuinely tried. I watched it twice. I went online and I read about it. I watched that hour long interview with Peter Weller and John Lithgow and everything. It, no, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work for me. I have such a bad record with these cult classic movies, these really weird, offbeat cult classic movies that people love. My success rate with these is so low, it's insane. This movie reminds me of another cult classic. I don't. I doubt either of you have seen it. Supposedly funny, supposedly amazing. It reminds me of just like this movie called Six String Samurai. You ever seen that? I have That's a complete piece of garbage, but there are people in the world who think that it's high art. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm not among them. I don't know what it is. They're just I guess that's the beauty of movies, right? How it's possible that we could watch this and have such an extremely negative reaction. If someone else can watch the exact same thing and walk away thinking that it was amazing, hilarious, it really speaks to them. Yeah. It's, it's, that's kind of interesting. I, above all else, I can't believe this is not rotten. I can't believe like the critics like this movie. That's the thing that really shocks me. Martin and I listened to the Siskel and Ebert review. It's online, and that was shocking. It was. Siskel really appreciated this movie. Ebert did not at all. Siskel thought it was hilarious. Ebert, Ebert was like us. Ebert said it was a piece of crap. Yeah, and the, the I thought what was in, like what was interesting about it was that Ebert gave an analysis that's pretty similar to like what we're talking about. But Siskel's analysis was I guess what the majority of like those cult fans say that it was going for a lot of these like really meta jokes that were like self-aware and were referencing this other material and he liked how it went for like these inside quirky really out there jokes. He appreciated it. He appreciated what it was going for. And Ebert at the same time was saying, yeah, I, I recognize that it went for that, but it didn't get there. And so I can't give it credit for that. Most of the time when I watch these kind of cult classic movies and, I, and it does nothing for me, usually I just say, ah, that sucked. And I just move on with my life. But with this one, I really want to be on the inside. I want this one to work. I don't know what it is. There's just something about it. I really do want to like this movie, but I, I can't. There's, there's some kind of mental block in my brain or something that's keeping me from enjoying this. I don't You're know. You're just not sufficiently evolved as a movie watcher. Ah, uh, thanks. 
Thank you. There it is. There it is. Pulling out the Roger Ebert on me. There you go. Okay, so is there anything else to say about this movie? Yeah, I'm going to leave it on a high note. The ending credit sequence is awesome. Awesome. I love it. Best part of this movie is the, the closing credit sequence. I don't know what that is to say about a movie when you think that the best part of the credits, <laughs> but I think the credits are really cool. It's a, it's the entire cast. They're all wearing their fancy costumes and they're just walking in the LA aqueducts, walking around, set to this 80s synth music. I think it's really cool. Wes Anderson stole this completely for the ending to Life Aquatic. And Kevin, if you had paid attention during this, you would have seen that as the characters are just walking around, Perfect Tommy changes his costumes from like scene to scene. That's pretty good. I didn't even stick around to watch this. <laughs> as soon as it was over, I was like, click. No, the end was entertaining. It was well shot. I've watched it on YouTube like 10 times. It's really good. It Best is very part good. of this movie. I would go as far as to say it is the only good part of this movie. You could watch those closing credits without having seen the movie, and you'd be in the exact same position <laughs> that we are having seen it. Yeah. <laughs> Bart's face. I don't even know what to say about this. So yes. This definitely is not one of those movies where you need to watch this before listening to our review. No, absolutely not, because there's it's it's incoherent. There's nothing that you could glean from what we said that you that you could glean from the movie. There are two different entities. I don't know. So that was Buckaroo Banzai. <laughs> Across the eighth dimension. Let's find out what the real critics have to say about this movie. A state-of-the-art spaceship flying at the speed of light without narrative coordinates. Buckaroo Banzai is the very oddest good movie in many a full moon. Richard Corliss, Time Magazine. The film gives you the mildly annoying sensation of being left out of a not-very-good private joke. Dave Kerr, Chicago Reader. And finally, it violates every rule of storytelling and narrative structure in creating a self-contained world of its own variety. Okay, guys, this movie currently holds a 71% on Rotten Tomatoes, but is it really that good? No. Resoundingly, no. I can't believe this score is this high. I really can't. This movie today would get like a, a two, a three percent, maybe. I don't know. You've seen how absurd things are on the internet and stuff. This thing would have an audience. People would like it. Critics, though. Talking about critics. Okay, okay. Anyway, I can't help it. I fell asleep during this movie. That's a one. I can't do anything other than that. If I fell asleep, it can't be anything higher than a one. This movie was physically painful to watch, and I regret every moment I had to spend looking at the screen that displayed. <laughs> the images that are associated with this movie. It's incoherent, and it's it's just, there's nothing redeeming about it besides Jeff Goldblum. So, oh man. No, I'm gonna call a spade a spade. I love Jeff Goldblum. Other than that, I I wish I didn't see this movie. This is going to get one of the hardest one out of fives that I could possibly give a movie, and it's driving me insane that it has a 71% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's making you question everything? Yeah, up is down, left is right, (laughs) black is white. Oh man, and to think that they gave Equilibrium... What, a 15%? (laughs) Astonishing. (laughs) Really boggles the mind. Okay, yes, for me, is it really that good? Absolutely not. I hated this thing. I look back upon my Willow review with regret and remorse (laughs) in my heart. I was too harsh on Willow, you know? If I could go back and bump it up a star, I would. I was at least able to watch Willow from beginning to end and pay attention and connect Mm. to what was going on with it, you know? Mm -hmm. This movie? No. I couldn't do it. I just couldn't connect. I couldn't even finish it. I couldn't do it. One out of five. I have to. I don't want to hate this movie, but it's as if the movie doesn't want me to like it. So, all right, fine. I'll oblige. One out of five. Sucks. I wouldn't want anybody to see this movie. Yeah, I I could never recommend this 
to anyone ever. Yeah. Okay, let's read some listener mails. I can only imagine the kind of listener mail we're going to get back from this. Well, okay. Andrew writes in and he wants to put his two cents in about Buckaroo Banzai. All right. After Martin and I saw the movie the other night, we tossed out a desperate plea to our Facebook listeners at facebook.com slash yeah, that bad. We said, oh my God, what is this Buckaroo Banzai all about? We just didn't get it. Yeah, yeah I wasn't yeah, even yeah. supposed to be part of this. Yeah, Kevin was not scheduled to be on this episode, but we needed help. We needed backup. Yeah, me and Joe felt like we were, you know, in the home for Infinite Losers. Yeah, Hiffle. Yeah. No one will get that reference. <laughs> Someone will get it. Hi, guys. I saw on Facebook that there was a desperate situation over at Yes That Bad World Headquarters after my favorite movie-related podcast heroes were baffled, bemused, and bamboozled by Buckaroo Banzai. I swung into action since I didn't see anyone offering my sociological take on the film in the comments. Basically, if you don't get the appeal of Buckaroo Banzai, it's not your problem. I love this film, but I never recommend it. It's a cultural artifact of the 80s and 90s, back when there was nothing even slightly chic about geek. If you were a kid who got threatened with violence at school because some meathead didn't like that you were reading one of Isaac Asimov's robot novels at lunch, then this movie might appeal to you because A, it's hard to find a more aspirational character for a young sci-fi fan than a physicist who's a brain surgeon, who's in an inexplicably popular band, who's also implied to be a martial arts master, though we never see any evidence of that, and B, it's a dense sci-fi film that explains nothing and does not give a crap if you don't get on board. Things like the watermelon seem designed to make the movie less viewer-friendly, and that made it seem badass. If its obtuseness was part of what made it a great social gatekeeper for outcast sci-fi fans, sort of like other late 70s, early 80s cult films like Rocky Horror, Repo Man, Brazil, or Eraserhead. Given the sheer number of weird cult films from the era, I have to conclude that there was a social need for obtuse nonsense in the stifling conformist culture of the 80s. Doesn't mean such films hold up in these days when science and tech nerds are aspirational figures for everyone. The kids are into anime to a degree that even an old Robotech fan can't get behind. And Glee does a Rocky Horror episode and the kids love it. The culture war is over, the geeks won, and geek fandom, now that it's no longer on the defensive, has gone from being exclusive to being very inclusive to its benefit. Then again, maybe Donnie Darko is just this generation's Buckaroo Banzai. That being said, there are some genuinely good performances in there, John Lithgow particularly chewing the scenery at Al Pacino levels, some neat visual ideas, I love the nightmarish vision of the 8th dimension and the organic tech of the aliens, which hadn't been seen much before. And most importantly, at the time, a ton of quotable lines, again, mostly from Lithgow, that my brother and I still quote to each other on a monthly basis. Love the podcast, keep fighting the good fight. What do you think? I, I wish I could see that. I do. I wish that I could travel back in time and live in the early 80s for a few years just so I could get a better understanding. Yeah, we're missing out on something here. Yeah, everything he said sounds amazing to me. Yeah. But I just, I can't get it. I, I can't get it. Yeah. It's really a shame, actually, because we're sounds like we're missing out on something really enjoyable. It sounds like this would speak directly to us. It right, does, right? We were there for it. Yeah, like, no, no. Not only do we need to get a better understanding of, like, I guess the time that this movie was made in, we were the audience that this movie was made for, yeah. our personality types, but back in, like, 1982 and 83. By the way, I read all the Isamov robot novels. We all have. <laughs> so I would have fit in just fine in that guy's worldview. 
Okay, Joe also writes in about Buckaroo Banzai. You guys rock. Thanks for all the effort, and I'm glad to hear your fundraising was a success. I just wanted to share a link with you regarding Buckaroo Banzai. The institute mentioned in the film is still up and running. You can visit it here at bonsaiinstitute.com. As far as the movie slash documentary question mark goes, I believe Martin will enjoy it the most. His irreverence and affection for philosophical and metaphysical discourse should really provide a great jumping off point for an exploration in the more fantastical elements of Buckaroo Banzai's worldview. I'm a couple of years older than you guys and was lucky enough to have a cool dad who took me to see this in the theaters. My 10-year-old mind was shocked into stultified silence, simultaneously swayed and snarled into the sinews of staggering, scintillating, and sparkling savvy satire. This is the only movie I will always watch if it's on TV. Best wishes and keep up the good work. P.S. And he has a little throwback here to Hollow Man. P.S. You can't heat an area of the body close to frostbite with anything warmer than body temperature. The homeostasis employed by the body will draw blood away from the areas exposed to the extreme temperatures. It follows that a person suffering from hypothermia should be heated slowly using warm but not hot blankets. The body saves vital organs first and draws blood to the core at the expense of the extremities. Heating the extremities exacerbates this process and will worsen cold damage to fingers and toes. I thought Martin was an EMT. Didn't they cover this in your training? You did the great work. Do they cover frostbite? Yeah. Do I remember it? Not really. It I sounds mean, like, like you're th- really going to disappoint this guy. Yeah. I'm. Yeah. You're not. You're going to let him down big time. Oh well. I mean, like I haven't. I haven't. How are you going to sleep tonight? I'm going to have. Oh, you can't dream. You can't sleep. But you can't eat about it. Oh my God! It was you. Oh, Joel. <laughs> I haven't. I haven't practiced in. Uh, four years so I'm a little rusty and practice makes perfect man yeah practice makes look if you don't if you don't use it you'll lose it okay Dean writes in and says hey guys I'm a big fan I have been a big fan since I started listening around the vantage point slash whiteout episode my question is concerning the direction of the podcast so far I believe the only fresh movie reviewed has been Bad Lieutenant back in the early days before you guys developed the format are you guys going to regularly incorporate fresh movies now also because I see on the sponsor list that there are a number of fresh movies coming up like the event of Buckaroo Banzai, Across the Eighth Dimension, The Rocky Horror Picture Show, Donnie Darko, Old Boy, I Saw the Devil. I think it's cool that people as talented as yourselves can stretch your wings and try reviewing critically acclaimed movies, but what makes you guys unique is the rotten movies. Either way, I'll keep listening. Just wanted to know where you guys stood on this. Keep up the good work. I'm looking forward to the unavailable episode 100. P.S. I think Kilmer is close to reaching Quaid slash Cage status. I'm not sure if you guys agree, but it's starting to become apparent to me. He's, I mean, Kilmer's in there. Definitely he has the appearance of those two, like, as far as numbers of movies that we review. Probably more, but he doesn't. We'll be seeing him again soon. We'll be seeing him again soon, but he doesn't have the certain je ne sais quoi that Cage and and Quaid have. As for the the fresh movies, yeah, I mean, that's something we've been discussing. We don't want to lose the tone of this podcast. But that being said, we just did a fresh movie, and it was no different (laughs) than the other episodes because we tore it apart. In fact, I would go even further, say that it was dramatically worse than almost every (laughs) other movie I've ever reviewed on the show. <laughs> that being said, I don't think, I think there's going to be a few movies possibly coming up that are going to be love fests, maybe repeats of the Constantine episode, but I wouldn't be surprised if this, if this, if the tone changes much for those fresh movies. Yeah, like I said in the beginning of the episode, the mission statement of the podcast is going to remain the same. These fresh episodes are the outliers, right? Yeah. You should just consider them as like bonus extra content sort of things, right? Plus, like no matter what movie we're reviewing, we review them the same way. This yeah. is just how we are. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're not going to change at the core. It's still going to be like, is it that bad? You know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But like I said in earlier, like we really did not expect anybody to sponsor episodes at all. It was a shot in the dark that we tossed that idea out there. No idea. And we had the fresh concept to entice people to do it. Yeah. The fact that anybody sponsored any episode at all is still like staggering Absolutely. to me. I can't believe it. So, hey, people want us to review these fresh movies. We're going to do it. And like I said, like out of the 30 or so that are coming up, only like nine of them or so are fresh. Mm-hmm. So it's not that big of a deal. Once the sponsored episodes are done, if we do this again, if we have another sponsor drive like this, I'm going to put the rule in rotten only. Okay. Also, haven't you gotten like hundreds, if not thousands of requests for fresh movies? Yes, I people? have. Yes, I have. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, I'm going to say don't worry. Things are, it's, we're going to stay the course. Nothing else is going to change pretty much. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, even, even the best movies have things to rip on, right? You can make a joke out of anything. Yeah. I mean, not that I would, but you definitely could. <laughs> okay, Lewis writes in and says, Hey dudes, curious if you guys have considered uploading, posting, or whatever the heck it is called more than one episode a week. I imagine with your thousands, millions of fans out there donating and sponsoring episodes that all three of you have quit your jobs and are living off the Yes That Bad ATM <laughs> and therefore have more than enough time to record more episodes and post more than once a week. Clearly, I'm wishing, but it doesn't hurt to wish, doesn't it? I adore you guys, even Kevin. You don't know how much of a bright spot you guys are in my day slash week. Thank you. Seriously, thank you for being awesome, all of you. Be well, and I look forward to the day when you guys reveal your faces and are all multi-millionaires. Yeah, I look forward to that day, too. Yeah, I also look forward to that day. So, doing two episodes a week, guys. Ready to ramp up production? (laughs) Oh, my God. We would need significantly more money for that to happen. <laughs> it's hard enough to get together to watch one movie. Quadrillion times the amount of money that's coming in we would need. Yeah, because, I mean, let's just be honest. We'd have to be able to quit our jobs. You, you know how I would do it? If I could hire a staff to edit the podcast for me, if I didn't have to do that stuff, yeah. then maybe if we were just doing the talking bits. That's right. a good point. Then, but yeah. even that, it's hard enough to get the three of us together in a room for three hours. That's a good point. I mean, we all have to work we all have extracurricular stuff that's important to us yeah. um and we sacrifice quite a bit of stuff that we need i haven't had a friday night in two years yeah that's just that's so sad isn't it that yeah is, that that is sad but yeah there you go <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> the price we're paying is heavy enough isn't it <laughs> <laughs> okay avi writes in and says i just came across this news story and i thought of you guys and how you could have a laugh at this apparently not only does this story involved an armed robbery mid in a moving vehicle, something that would hearken to a little gem called Mr. and Mrs. Smith, but the weapon involved was a Taurus judge. <laughs> if you get if you get held up yeah, with a Taurus judge, you just you just give up. Right? <laughs> There's no. All right, I'll post a link to that in the show. You immediately urinate. Oh yeah, once you see that Taurus judge, you're yeah, done, right? Yeah. I hear that you don't even have to aim a Taurus judge. <laughs> it's that powerful. Okay, Sean writes in and says, "Hey, bros, a woman wrote in recently and told you guys how it was a bad idea for her to." attempt a mani-pedi while listening to the show, as her laughter screwed up the precision. Well, I have two real-life stories for you that are much, much worse, and they were all your fault. First one, I was listening to the House of the Dead episode, a favorite of mine, while you guessed it, practicing
practicing archery. Just as I loaded the arrow on the bow and started aiming, Joel said something ridiculous, prompting me to shoot somewhat less than straight. Luckily, no one was hurt. <laughs> Man, you could have killed somebody, Joel. The second occasion occurred not 20 minutes before writing this email. I was mountain biking while listening to the new Willow episode as I was careening down a rocky slope at 10 quintillion miles per second. <laughs> 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 had I not had the full faculties of my mind, there was a very real chance of me leaving a long red stain on the side of a mountain. Through some miracle, I survived. Thanks, guys, for giving me some of the laughs of a lifetime. You know, one time I left a long brown stain in my pants while listening to the podcast. Does that count? I, I think this happened to all of us. <laughs> that happened to me. I did that tonight. <laughs> Ten I left a long brown stain on the side of a mountain that was 10 quintillion miles long. <laughs> 10 quintillion miles per second. It's pretty good. Okay, Maddie writes in and says, Dear guys, I just wanted to tell you about something interesting that happened to me the other day. I am a corrections officer in a female prison. No, it's not hot. In fact, it's vile and disgusting. But it's a good job and it pays my bills. On Sunday, the 8th of September, while doing inspections, an offender began to choke in the day hall. This offender is approximately seven years old and inhaled a piece of hard candy which blocked her windpipe completely. I sprung into action and administered the Heimlich, dislodging the object. Immediately afterward, all I could hear was you Joker singing, How to Save a Life! <laughs> a song which I loathe. In any case, I couldn't stop smirking and snickering and was unable to explain why, much to my captain's chagrin. Thanks for all your hard work, your pal, M. Sweet. That's awesome. He actually saved a life. Wow. <laughs> At least he knows how to save a life. I mean, I let my EM T skills slack. Yeah. Now he's I don't a, know how to do that. This guy's a modern day McDreamy. Slash McSteamy. McSteamy. Yeah. All rolled into one. Yeah. Okay, Richard writes in and says, Love your podcast. One of the funniest I've heard. You have you all have great, very unique voices. Perfect for a podcast. I have no idea what you guys all look like, but I like to imagine. Regarding Willow, which I quite like, I give it a solid three out of five. To continue on the Lord of the Rings similarity, parts of Willow were actually filmed here in New Zealand at the same places that Lord of the Rings would be shot twenty odd years later. If you like Warwick Davis, you just definitely check out the recent sitcom he made with Ricky Gervais called Life's Too Short. It's ultra funny. He was also in an episode of Extras. Thanks, Richard from New Zealand. And finally, Joe writes and says, Hey guys, great show. I started listening about a month ago and I am working through your archives. I was wondering if you've considered doing a year-end Yeah, It's That Bad Choice Awards, nicknamed the Quaities, recapping the year's reviews, categories like Choice Performance, Choice Director, Most Surprising Movie, Worst Movie, Choice Cameron Bright Appearance, Choice Beefcake, and the Dennis Quaid Lifetime Achievement Award. <laughs> I, I know you guys are lazy and this will be a lot of work, but I'd love to hear you guys go back through the, your year and rediscover the highlights and the garbage you've had to sit through. Thanks for the show. It's not a bad idea. No, it's not. That may or may not be in the future. Yeah, Kevin, get on that. Okay. Okay, thanks for those emails, guys. If you want to contact us, you can reach us at yeahitsthatbad at gmail.com. Okay, now it's time for the question of the week. And in honor of Buckaroo Banzai, what's your favorite cult classic movie? Head on over to yesthatbad.com. Leave a comment on this episode's page with your answer. Okay, now it's time to announce next week's movie. We'll be dipping back into the world of Tony Scott and Denzel Washington with a little movie I like to call Man on Bye.
Fire. You know, a guy gets a bomb in his butt in that movie. I know. I've seen it. I've never seen it. No? No. It's a good movie. All right. It's sitting in my apartment right now, though. All right. Okay, tune in next week when we'll be watching Man on Fire. Okay, if you like what you've heard, please consider subscribing. We have a new episode every Tuesday. Please leave us a positive review on iTunes. Those five-star reviews really do help out the show. Please help spread the word of the show to all your friends by liking us on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Bad. You can follow us on Twitter at Bad. You can follow Martin at Martin. You can follow Kevin at YadsKev. And you can listen to the show on all your mobile devices via Stitcher. You can get that at Stitcher.com. And don't forget, you can still get our premium podcast, The Last Airbender, at yeahitsthatbad.bandcamp.com. Once again, thanks for listening to the show. See you next time. Tuesday and Wednesday night, I will be busy for five more months. Oh, all right. All right. So, Thursday, I'm available. Women's Bowling League? Yeah, Women's Bowling League. <laughs> no, he's doing curves. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Zumba. Do- I'm, no, oh, no, Zumba. no, no, no. My Zumba class, and I'm, and I'm doing curves, circuit training. He's got a spin class. <laughs> and I'm doing pole dancing workout. <laughs> every every possible female-based exercise I can think of, I'm doing all of them. Because I want to keep... I want to get toned. I want to get toned, but I don't, I, I don't want to lose my ass. <laughs> I'm on the stairmaster four hours a day. <laughs>